Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at GPC, we want you to know God, love people, and live sent. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you want to learn more about Grace Point, head over to gracepointchurch.net. And now, this week's message. When was the last time that you did something you didn't want to do? All right? I mean, one of those hard things, okay? Maybe you just came from it in the holiday season. Maybe you went to be with that family member, uh, and you're like, okay, here, I'll go do it out of a sense of obligation or duty. Maybe that was it. Maybe it's, be, maybe it's a conflict, a conversation, a confrontation that needed to happen, and it's been the elephant in the room, and it just needs to happen, and you you're either haven't had that conversation yet, or you're looking to have that conversation one day soon, hopefully. Um, you know, maybe it was a new job. Maybe it was uh, a move around the world. Maybe you're new to Northwest Arkansas. Maybe you were new to uh, 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 maybe a new school. If you're a student in here and you've gone to a new school and it's like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And the fear and the unknown of all of that. There's so many things that can create that fear, that freezing, that, uh, that hesitation on hard things. Let me tell you this. You're looking at me doing something I don't want to do right now. So if you want to know what that looks like on Mike McDaniel's face, you're looking at it. I can fake it till I make it, but in reality, just below the surface of a fake smile is a, oh God, do you really want me to go here? It's a conversation we're going to have over the next several weeks, week, month and a half, is one that I am not exactly jazzed about. I would rather talk about rainbows and butterflies uh, than wars and deception and loss and shame and guilt and betrayal and shame. Again, go back to shame again. I, I would much rather talk about something else than talk about spiritual warfare. I'd much rather move into something that would give you five ways to a happy life. But in reality, that a happy life will only happen if it's a victorious life. And the only way that we're really going to live a victorious life is not me working my way to victory, but me realizing that victory happens through Jesus and me living from victory, not to victory. Please understand the nuances of those words. That we're not functioning, hoping that we might be victorious one day, but that actually we can be victorious today. And now whether or not we're going to live victorious, that's the question on the table. And as we jump into this, it's, again, we're going to jump in with both feet. So first time with us today, welcome. We're talking about the devil. But it's real. It's eternal. It's spiritual. It's personal. And it's costly. There's no such thing as freedom for free. And the freedom that it's going to cost us, or the cost that it's going to be to us, is it's going to be a lifetime tension. I don't want to even use the word battle, but it is. It's a battle. It's a tension. It's a war. It's a, it's a, it's a fighting out of who's going to be large and in charge. 
in our lives, in our world, in our, in our, in our worldviews. Let me put it to you like this. This is the way C.S. Lewis put it. He said, there's no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. If you just let that sink in and realize that every second, every nanosecond, every, every bit of my life, every private part of my life, every public part of my life, my, 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 my family life and my health life and my, and my spiritual life, every bit of it, there is this tension, there's this battle, there's this fight for control and who's going to be in charge. That's reality. And that's where we're going to be. That's where we got to spend some time in deep, deep prayer and looking at his word. Because if we don't think that we're there, if we don't think it's that big of a deal, we think it's all a bunch of hype, spiritual warfare. Mike's just trying to create some fear. Listen, I am not trying to create fear. In fact, I hope by the end of every message, you'll find that there is not fear, but there is tremendous victory in faith and in that relationship with Jesus Christ. But we're going to have to deal with the reality and we're going to have to wake up to the reality that there is a battle for your soul, your life, your attention, your affections, your mind, everything, every square inch, every part of your life. In fact, I heard it like this and heard it in college and I memorized this statement by a pastor, a longtime pastor in Memphis, R.G. Lee. He says, if you wake up in the morning and you don't meet the devil face to face, it just means you're walking in the same direction. Think about that. If you wake up in the morning and you don't meet the devil face to face, it just means you're probably going in the same direction that he's going. Let us be ever vigilant and mindful. In the Marine Corps, there are four different briefings that they train the Corps in. I want to add a fifth briefing And it's not in the Marine Corps handbook on briefings. It's actually a spiritual war briefing. Before we go to battle, before we go into the armor, before we start talking about this stuff, we need to understand a few things. We need to understand, one, who the enemy is. We need to understand, number two, what the strategy of that enemy is. So couple those together. Let's talk about enemy number one. Enemy number one. His name, he has a name. He's real. He's not fictitious. He's not a symbol. He's not, he's not a cartoon character. He's not a red pitchforked individual. He is real. He's on the earth. He's alive and he is well. His name is Lucifer and he is an arrogant fallen angel. And I'll give evidence to that in a moment. But he has a way about him. He can be as crafty as a serpent one day and be a prince the next day. The arrogant, the the aristic, the um, the uh, the fascistness of his mindset is is able to take uh, uh, an Osama bin Laden in a cave and infiltrate his heart and soul all the way to the Kremlin and President Putin, but even to our own individual homes. An impact and influence with his deception. And if you understand the history of, of, of Lucifer, I'll stick with that name because that's his highest name. That was his created name, if you will. 
Lucifer was his name when he was an angel, when he was an archangel uh, in the heavens. And Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 gives a detailed account in prophetic form of the fall of Satan. So if you want to read it for yourself, you can have some fun and read it. But you're going to find that there's this arrogant individual, this created being who wanted to be God and was going to assert himself to be God. So call it a heavenly coup d'etat that was taking place. Here's just a sampling, two verses, Isaiah 14, 12 to 13. It says, how you are fallen from heaven, O day star and son of dawn. But which again, that's where we get the name Lucifer. His name means angel of light, day star, son of the dawn. You've fallen from heaven. How you are cut down to the ground You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. Those are the mindset. That's the mindset of Satan. He wants to be the supreme one. He wants to overthrow the God of the universe, the most high God, the God who even created him. And I wanted to give you the history behind this. And I know that this is a prophetic statement from Isaiah. And Isaiah is giving a prophetic statement that Belshazzar, who is the king of Babylon, is going to fall. But like most prophecies, all messianic prophecies, there's a dual prophecy that's going on in the prophecy. And this is one of those. Well, yes, it's talking about Belshazzar, but there's things that are said in this passage that can't be an earthly king. One is that he came from heaven. He fell from heaven. Belshazzar did not fall from heaven. So when you look at this, and also read the words of Jesus, Jesus himself recognizes and remembers the day that Satan fell from heaven. It says this, Jesus said in Luke 10, 18. He said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So he recalls that day. Revelation talks about a third of the angels who fell with him in the failed coup d'etat, a third of the stars of heaven cast them down to the earth. So again, I know I'm jumping from scripture to scripture, but I'm having to do this to just lay a foundation to understand that we have an enemy. His name is Lucifer. He's arrogant and he's going to do everything he can in your life, in my life, to take control of our life because that's been his intent the whole time. And if he can get us to follow him versus us following Jesus of the Most High God, then he wins. Then he wins. Let's talk about his strategy. From Genesis to Revelation, you'll find there's a certain strategy behind what Satan does and everything about the enemy and what he does. And understanding his strategy will hopefully heighten an awareness inside of you that you will look at yourself and look at your surroundings and look at the spiritual world with greater sensitivity and greater awareness. But let's understand this as a trifecta because there's three main areas that we are told to be mindful of or watchful of. One is Satan. We just need to be aware. He's real. Again, I will say this again. He's not a fictitious character. He's not a myth. He's not a legend. He's not something. He is real. He's a fallen angel. And he is roaming the earth. And he is trying to, to rule this earth. In fact, in other points in scriptures. Satan is even called the ruler of this world. So just think about that. He's the ruler of this world. He's Satan. He's real. He's out for keeps. 
And John 10, 10 tells us exactly what his agenda is. To steal, to kill, and to destroy. It doesn't matter what it is. He can still kill and destroy your marriage. He can still kill and destroy your, your character. He can still kill and destroy your life. Literally take your life from you. Or cause you to do that. Again, he wins in the end if we allow him to still kill and destroy any areas of our life, any domains, any areas of our life, any square inch, any moment of time. But let's also understand that there's another part of that trifecta, and that's the world in which we live. We live in a world of systems and philosophies and worldviews and politics and, 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 and all of that that makes up the world in which we live. And really, to be very frank with you, we need to be very cognizant of the worldview that we have versus the worldview of a Christian, of a follower of Jesus, of the Jesus worldview, because they're not always the same. And I'm saying this to the church today because it's incredible the tension that, that, that is played in the church today and what we've experienced over the past couple of years is the tension that is so palpable is sometimes has nothing to do with theology. Everything to do with ide- ideology. And when our ideology rules our life versus our theology, we got something upside down. We've allowed the world's systems to come in and to take over. Listen, it doesn't matter if the world legalizes it, sanitizes it, subsidizes it, If God says it's wrong, it's wrong. And we need to understand that. But the problem is, is that this world is so enticing. And Satan knows how, again, the trifecta, he knows how to make this world very enticing. Paul is even dealing with a close friend in 2 Timothy. Deimos is his name. You read it for yourself, chapter 4, verse 10. And you'll find where Deimos abandons Paul for the love of the present world. He deserted him. He loved the world more than he loved the things of God and the people of God. And he goes right back, sucked back into the world. Jesus tells, or Paul, John records, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So let us beware of Satan. Let us beware of the world's systems and the ways and the thinkings. And guys, listen, when I get one hour a week to hopefully expound some truth, but yet Fox News gets you for the rest of the time, who do you think is going to get more information loaded? Or your school systems. Listen, nothing against schools, nothing against the news sources. But the point is, if we don't have a filter, if we don't have deep awareness of what we're listening to, the world will shape us. Which then leads me to number three of the trifecta, and that's self. You must be aware, I must be aware of self. We may be our own worst enemy. When we allow, when we allow this self inside of us, to rule and reign instead of letting the Spirit of God, the Word of God, the the, the ways of God to shape us where we're looking, listening, leading, and loving a little bit more like Jesus every day and we're allowing the world to shape us and we're allowing our old flesh. Again, I want to tie all this together because we're going to be in Ephesians 6 in the weeks weeks ahead, but Paul talks about Ephesians 4.22. He says, put off the old self which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. What's wrong with the old self? It's corrupted by our evil desires, our deceitful desires, the things that will pull us away. Listen, lust is born in itself in deceitful desires. Addictions 
are developed through deceitful desires. Anger is manifest through deceitful desires. Integrities are compromised because of deceitful desires. We just get sucked in. Here's a verse for you this week. Memorize it. Put it on the dashboard of your car. Put it on your screensaver. But wherever you got it, where you got, wherever you got, put it on the mirror. Here it is. Here's your instructions for the week. Pay careful attention to yourselves. Look deep. Look deep into your motives. Look deep into your thoughts. Ask why a whole bunch, not just what. What do I feel? No, why? What got me here? How did I, how, how did I, why do I feel this way? Why am I doing this? Why am I thinking this? See, one of the life principles, long life principle for you, but here it is, putting off the old self, putting on the new self with the armor of God. So it's not just, hey, I want a new life, turn over a new leaf, live a new way, live a new, new thought patterns. But if I don't put on the armor of God to protect that new life, I am as vulnerable as ever I could be. And I can be sucked right back in just as Deimos himself manifested. Why in Zechariah? Let's go to Zechariah chapter 3. All this ties together. Because I thought before we even go into the armor of God and talk about putting on this and that and how to put it on and all that kind of stuff, oh, back up. That is, we're getting to the what before we go to the why. We need to understand the why behind this. There is an adversary. His name is Lucifer. He's out to make us follow him. How is he going to do that? He's going to do that through the systems of the world. He's going to do that through his own temptations, his own ways. Uh, as, as Satan, he's going to do that through ourself, our desires inside of ourselves. He's going to do it in so many ways. We've got to understand that so we can move forward. But I want you to also, Satan is not just the tempter. He has another role to play. And Zechariah covers it in a powerful way when you see this courtroom appearance. So if you have your Bibles, look at Zechariah chapter 3. You're going to see several characters, but I want you to just imagine with me a courtroom. Who's, in, who's on trial? A guy named Joshua who happens to be the high priest. So here's where we go. And he showed me Joshua the high priest. Now, what, who, who showed? Zechariah is having his fourth vision. He's going to have eight visions in the book of Zechariah. So he's book of visions. But this is his fourth vision. Zechariah sees this happening, and Joshua the high priest is standing before the angel of the Lord. We'll get to the angel of the Lord here in a moment. But realize this, that that is his attorney, his advocacy. And then we go to Satan. Satan is standing at the right hand. What's he doing? He's accusing him. Satan is accusing. The angel of the Lord is advocating. And the Lord said, to Satan. The Lord is the judge. Now, the Lord is going to speak the authority. The Lord is going to be the final voice. He's going to give the final verdict. So who is Joshua? How do I fit into this story? How is this relevant to me today? This is Zechariah. I mean, there's so much about it. It doesn't make sense to me. You and I are Joshua. You and I have an accuser who's ready to accuse us of everything that we've ever done wrong and to bring it up again and again and again and again and again and again and again until we are shame-beaten. All of a sudden, we also have over here an advocate who's going to stand in for us. And then we have a judge, and that judge is going to speak on our behalf after he listens to the advocate. So that's the scene 
in which we unfold here. But I want us to understand four roles of this accuser. Okay, let's understand our accuser and, and how he is at work. Listen, take, Satan takes the form of a lot of things, okay? He takes the form of a serpent at one time and a prince at another time. He's an angel of light, and then right here we see him as a prosecuting attorney. He is ruling and deceiving on this world, in this world and on this world. He is about this world. He's the ruler of this world, it says in John chapter 12, verse 31. So let that sink in. So who's, who's large and in charge and who's kind of pushing the buttons and the levers on this world? It is Satan himself. And he is working in, as, as best he can. He's crafty. He's going to deceive. He's going to tell stories. He's going to create narratives. He's going to create false narratives. He's going to get us to believe false narratives and live in those false narratives. He did it with Adam and Eve. The very, they're in a perfect garden in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. He's craftier than anybody else. And he is out to deceive and to rule over them. But he's also roaming and devouring. He is about looking for his next prey. He's out looking for the next weak one. Verse 8, be so of First Peter chapter 5, be sober-minded, be watchful. Let me translate that for you. Wake up. Wake up to the reality that we are in a spiritual battle. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone whom he may devour. He is going to deceive. He's going to devour. He's going to bring us down. He's going to tempt us as the great tempter, and we will deal with that in days ahead. But I want you to understand about the temptation. Because God is in our side and God is, is advocating, because Jesus is advocating for us, because, because God wants us on his side, he's never going to allow Satan to have any more control that we don't have a way out. So you can't just say, I was tempted of Satan, the world system messed me up, and I just got, I got, I got sucked into this. No, because no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. Everyone's gone through your temptations. God is faithful. He will not let anyone be tempted beyond the ability of their temptations. He will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. There's always an exit strategy with God. There's always a way out of that temptation if you will lean in and listen and follow the Lord. So let's understand the role of Satan. What's he going to do? He's going to deceive. He's also going to defeat Satan wants to defeat us. He reminds us that we failed. So he wants us to fail, number one. Two, he's going to remind us that we did fail. He's going to keep bringing it back up. This is the shame game. This is where he's going to get us. Now, now truly, Joshua is representative of the priesthood, and the priesthood had messed up, so a little bit more historical context. Zechariah is not just written in a vacuum. It's written at the end of a 70-year exile that the people of Israel had gone through because the people of Israel had lost their focus, had lost their love for the Lord, and had turned away from God, and the high priest, the priest in the temple themselves had become compromised individuals. This is the way the Bible puts it back in before the 70 years of, uh, uh, of God's uh, discipline on them. He says, all the officers and the priests and the people likewise are exceedingly unfaithful. 
following the abomination of the nations, and they polluted the house of the Lord that he had made holy in Jerusalem. Now, here, I want to point something out. When God calls our sin out, he calls it by name. You're unfaithful. You've polluted the things of God. What Satan does is he doesn't call it by name. He just layers over it. He just covers us up with it. It's not that you did this wrong. It's that you're wrong. It's not that there's that, 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 that you can get fixed. No, you're unfaithful, and God is calling you back to faithfulness. And for 70 years, now just get in that. That's a generation plus. For 70 years, they're living in the brokenness, in the filthy rags of that. This is, what Joshua, this is what was said of Joshua in verse 3. Look at this. Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. The high priest didn't wear filthy garments. Read Exodus five different times. It tells us that the high priest would always wear holy, clean, pure garments. They're standing before the angel. He's standing before the Lord, and he is wearing filthy garments that he's been wearing, listen to this, for 70 years. And what Satan is wanting to do is to point at him and say, look at you, you filthy thing, you good for nothing thing. He is going to hurl his assault at us and beat us down as best he can. Shame is a sham of Satan. Guilt is a gift of God. Guilt gets us back on the right track. This is wrong. You were unfaithful. You made the things of God unholy. Okay, I can fix that. I can, I, I can repent. I can get things straight. No, no. Satan just wants you to wear the garment of filth the rest of your life. Some of you right now are wearing a garment of filth that you don't know how to take off. And by all means, Satan doesn't want you to take it off. Shame is a cancer. It consumes our soul. It becomes about who we are, our very sense of self. It eats away at our identity. It distorts who we really are. Shame is of Satan. It's a sham. God gives us guilt. Guilt gets us on the right road to recovery, to healing, to getting rid of the filthy garments. It puts us back on the right track. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. I want you to read it out loud with me because this may be the other verse you need to work on this week. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We do one thing. We confess. He does the rest. He cleanses. He makes right. He forgives. But Satan does not want you to know that. He wants you to live as a defeated individual, which then leads me to the next point. Satan defines us. Off of our failures, he defines us as a failure. I fail. He wants me to fail. I, fa- I have failed. 70 years they're wearing these dirty garments, and I am a failure. I can't get out of this. I'm stuck. I think, Mike, thanks for the happy-go-lucky message today. Listen, this is where God begins to speak. The accuser's spoken. The accuser's pointed out. But now the Lord speaks. 
And what does the Lord say? Verse 2, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord has chosen Jerusalem and rebukes you. Two different times he rebukes him and just puts him in his place. And there's a, there's a role that we need to do in our, in our life if we're going to live victorious, and that is to rebuke Satan. In the name of Jesus, we rebuke you. And it's you not defining who I am. I'm a loser. I'm dirty. I'm filthy. This is the way it's been for generations, and now I'm still wearing these dirty clothes, and I'm going to continue to wear these dirty clothes, and I'm going to take these dirty clothes, and I'm going to pass them down to the next generation, and they're going to wear these dirty clothes because Joshua was not alive during the time that I just read from. He's wearing the dirty clothes of generations. Time to get rid of those dirty clothes. How do you get rid of them? Satan's not going to tell you how to get rid of them. But God reminds him that I've chosen Jerusalem. I've chosen my people. You can call them what you want to call them. I've chosen them. Takes me back to Ephesians chapter 1, the message that we shared earlier this year, or earlier last year, that I'm blessed, I'm chosen, I'm loved, I'm adopted, I'm freed, I'm forgiven, I'm enlightened. That's who I am. And I want to wear that out. Satan does not want me to wear that out in this public. Here's a little truth for you. When Satan reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. Literally, I've told Satan to go to hell in Jesus' name. But I mean it. It's like, go to hell. This is not your space. My family's not your family. My mind is not your mind. Go to hell in Jesus' name. Because he doesn't win. I've read the last chapter. I've read the last book. Revelation chapter 12. It says, I heard a loud voice of heaven. Now the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of the brothers has been thrown down and accuses them all day and all night. What is Satan doing 24-7? He is bringing up every mistake you've ever made to God. He's bringing it up, and that's why we hear it in our heads. We hear it in our heads. He's bringing it back to us. He's pointing it out. You failed here. You failed here. You failed here. You're a failure. And if that's where the story ends, we'd all have to live in that reality. But the accuser's going to fall. And the reality is, number four, is God defends God defends, God defeats, Satan fails at our failure. He's not going to win in the end. I love these next verses because Satan doesn't say a word the rest. He has been silenced, he's been rebuked, he's been shut up, and he's been put in his place. And now who starts talking next is what you need to zero in on for the rest of your life. And it's why I say we are not fighting for victory, we're fighting from victory because of what the angel of the Lord begins to say and what the angel of the Lord begins to do when you look at that passage and you pick it up in verse four. And the angel said, now by the way, let me just say this. This is what I believe the angel is Jesus, okay? It's a Christophany in the Old Testament where there are certain times where Jesus shows up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, third one in, or fourth one in the fire. Guess what? I believe that was Jesus. There's all, 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 all of them there. But let me just say, keep going here. And the angel said to those 
or excuse me, and now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed in his dirty garments, filthy garments, and the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments. Remove the filthy garments. Get rid of the filthy garments. For 70 years, the nation had been wearing the filthy garments. For 70 days, for 70 weeks, for 70 months, for 70 years, maybe some of you have been wearing those filthy, nasty garments and God himself is saying, get get them off. I want to read to you what Peter said at the day of Pentecost when 3,000 people took off the filthy garments and said this, he says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That, that is the beauty of it. I get away from those. I get away from the filthy garments. I repent. And as my repentance is in place, I now stand in the waters of baptism as a declaration of my faith in Jesus. Jesus, I am yours. As a declaration of my faith. In a few weeks, we're going to have a declaration time. And if you have never declared your faith, if you have never declared it in a way that maybe you've gone through a religious ritual in the past, but it is time as a believer in Jesus Christ to say, I am a child of God. And just like the waters of baptism, I want Jesus, I want to recognize that Jesus has forgiven me and set me free. But let's keep going real quickly. Taking off, take away your iniquities. Taking your iniquities away, excuse me. Take these iniquities away. Get rid of them. I have taken your iniquity away. Now notice this, this next one. I will clothe you with pure vestments. And then he goes on in the next verse to talk about the pure clothing again. Notice this. Get rid of the garments, get rid of the sin, get rid of the shame, get it out of my life. What does God do? He steps in again, just like John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. I have taken your iniquities away. I have given you a clean clothing. I put back a, a new life in front of you a new uh, 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 life of promise, a, a life of freedom, a life of holiness in Christ and in the Lord. And he says, if you will walk in your ways and keep my charge. Listen, he's calling us to a life of obedience, a life of following him. Exactly what he did in Ephesians chapter four, verse one, walk in the manner worthy of your calling. How does all this happen? All these words, all this, all this work of the angel of the Lord. And what is he gonna do? Well, if you keep reading and you find in verse 8 a beautiful promise. It says, I will bring my, branch, my servant the branch. What is that? Again, I know this prophecy. What is the branch? Look up Isaiah 11.1 1 in your own time. Look up Jeremiah uh, 23 verse 5. That branch is Jesus. What is that branch going to do? That branch, basically the, 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 the lineage of David, is Jesus. He's going to come to this earth. And it says in verse 9, I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. What does Jesus do? He's the one, gives us a new clothes, takes off our dirty clothes, takes off our dirty clothes, gives us a new clothes, gives us a, a new way to live our lives, his way to live our lives. And he does this through Jesus. He takes it all away. In one day. What day was that? It was the day that we're marking with this cup right here. 
If you have the cup and you're a follower of Jesus, you might take it in hand. But before we just jump into taking this, this cup, I want to just put back out there to everyone. Every last one of us in this room, like it or not, is broken, has offended God, has sinned. That's the bad news. The good news is we have somebody who wants to take those dirty garments off, who wants to take away our sins, who wants to give us clean clothes, who wants to give us a new way to live our life. He's going to do it through the work and the actions of Jesus in a single day. It says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. We take this cup today. And let me just say this. If hearing this message today helps you to understand the spiritual battle for your own soul, and you realize today, you know what, Mike? I've been religious. I've gone to church. I identify with Jesus, but I've never taken off the dirty clothes. I keep wearing them and I keep living in them. And I need to be set free. I, I need to be set free from the wages of sin. I, I need to have that free gift of eternal life. Right here, right now, before we do this, right here, right now, just bow your head and say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I need you. I need you to take off the dirty, filthy, of my life that the accuser is accusing and accusing me of. And I need you to take away my iniquities. I need you to give me a clean, good life. Jesus, I will give my life to following you. You tell him in your own words. Father God, you know the hearts of everyone here and don't let anybody leave here confused about where they are in their relationship with you. Lord, speak clearly to them. We come to this wafer. The wafer is a very nondescript, leavened bread wafer. Jesus was a very nondescript individual. Isaiah says that he was really not that attractive as an individual. This is not that attractive as food to eat. But I promise you this, without Jesus coming and putting on flesh, dwelling among us, we would never have in a single day all of our iniquities taken care of. So thank God for sending Jesus. Father God, we thank you for your life that you lived. We honor you today. In Jesus' name, amen. The second element is, is a cup of grape juice symbolizing the blood of Christ. The Bible says without the shedding of sin, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. It was literally in that one day that we just read about, that one day that uh, the branch of David, the Jesus who comes to this earth, died for us 
did it so that we could be free. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. Thank God for the blood that gives us freedom from our filthy rags, that gives us a new life, that gives us hope. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood. We take this in remembrance of you. In Jesus' name, amen. You might have noticed in our graphics that we have a, the symbol of the peace fingers, victory fingers. There's a history behind that, and those history buffs in the room have know what I'm about to say, but it's pretty cool. During World War II, that became a very popular expression, the victory sign. It became a part of everything. Even Beethoven's fifth became a part of that because it begins with the almost, even though it was written years and years and years before, it begins with this, this dot, dot, slash. This Morse code was, was built in and it became kind of a victory cry. And they, they literally would just challenge everyone in Belgium and Czech and, and the Czech Republic and all these places, all these occupied places. They, they told them, they said, go out and put victory everywhere. Put the, the victory sign so you see it in you see it in storefronts. They'd wake up in one morning and all of a sudden there'd be victory signs on their, on their buildings and in the middle of the street. And if you notice this lady's hairstyle on the front, it's got dot, 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 dash. And on the back, it has a victory sign. Literally everywhere they would go, they would see the victory sign everywhere. It really became popular when Winston Churchill started telling all the nations, the French, everyone, put the victory sign wherever you go, whatever you do. Now you gotta realize, the war's still going on. The Nazis are still in their land. They're still killing, massacring people. But what they're saying is, we're victorious. We are victorious. In the midst of the war, we are victorious. My friends, we are in a war. But in the midst of the war, in Jesus, we do not fight for victory. We fight from victory. He has given us victory. Let us stand and let us sing about our great God and the foundation that he brings to us. Thanks for listening to the Grace Point Church Podcast. To stay up to date on all things GPC, follow us at Grace Point NWA on Facebook or Instagram. As you go, be people who show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Live Scent.